Good morning. I love a, a rousing song right before the sermon, uh, except for when it gets me. I don't know if you're ever singing a song and it just gets you where uh, you can't even sing uh, because what you're singing is just so impactful. Thank you, Marty, um, for leading us so well and for all of you for your voices. Um, it's very beautiful. For the last several weeks, we've looked at different people from the Old Testament and how they conquered some of the giants that we still face today. Uh, giants like fear and lust and pride and guilt. And today we're going to conclude this series by talking about the one giant that may be the biggest one of all, and that is the giant of death. Marty's already mentioned that because at some point the giant of death will all have to face. It will get all of our attention. Should we be worried about death? Should we as Christians fear death? And if we do fear death as a Christian, what does that say about us? I think death is one of the most paralyzing giants. You know, when surveys are taken about your, your fears, uh, number two for most people is, is uh, the fear of death. Uh, which kind of makes you wonder what is number one, and, and that's the fear of public speaking. <laughs> Jerry Seinfeld said, that means at a funeral, the person delivering the eulogy is more frightened than the person in the casket was. I've got some good news. We do not have to fear death. That's not good news, that's great news, isn't it? We do not have to fear death. And the Bible tells us about this conquering of the giant of death. We need to know this because I believe the fear of death may be one of the most powerful uh, weapons in the devil's uh, arsenal of evil. He knows how powerful it is. And he knows how paralyzing it is and how debilitating it is and, and how it can just crumble our faith in those moments of trial. Whether it's the death of a spouse, the death of a parent, the death of a child or a close family member, or maybe just even a close friend, we have all felt the sting of its blow. It forces us to rethink, what do I really believe? What do I really believe about the afterlife? Death of someone may cause us to waver in our faith. So I was thinking about this. I, I was reminded in my early years of ministry, there was a young couple, had one child, preschooler, had a horrible disease, and after months and months and months of treatment, their little girl died. It was awful. Their marriage died. Their faith died. It was awful. You know, the Bible talks about the sting of death. It's more than a sting, isn't it? Because it can, it can take us hostage, and it can make us slaves for all of our lives. Look on the screen at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. The writer of Hebrews is explaining the good news of Jesus, how he came to earth... He says, since children have flesh and blood, talking about people, he too shared in their humanity. He's writing about the incarnation. 
so that by his death he might, and get this, destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. The good news is that Jesus' sacrificial death, two things here, he destroyed the devil, the one who has the power of, of the death, and he frees those who've been enslaved to the fear of death all their lives. Isn't that great news? That's why he came. But sometimes we forget this. Sometimes our own pain and suffering and difficulty and grief, our fears trump what the Bible says. And it's like we just forget what the Bible's told us. We forget what we've always believed. Well, let's open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, and I want us to see how this, this death is conquered. The verses are going to be on the screen, but I want to encourage you to open your Bibles because I want you to kind of see the flow of the whole chapter. We're going to, not going to read the chapter, but here's the setting. When Paul wrote to the Christians at Corinth, about 20 or 30 years had passed. And so during that time, since the resurrection, the, these believers in Jesus were beginning to wonder, well, well did that really happen? And, and, and was the resurrection really true? So the apostle Paul responds by writing this letter, and in chapter 15, you've got 58 verses of this impassioned defense about, you need to know this, don't forget this, this is, this is foundational. And so he makes this very convincing argument how every believer can have resurrection hope and not fear death. So he begins the chapter saying, let me remind you of the gospel. And you might remember as you're looking at this chapter, we just studied chapter 15 back in the spring. But let's pick up in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So the Paul, Apostle Paul is explaining there's no need for you to fear death. So I want us to be reminded of two obvious truths. If you're looking on the outline, you can probably fill them out without me even saying. But the first is this. Death is inevitable. You are going to die. But you know that already, don't you? Aren't you glad you came to worship today? Because <laughs> you hear that and think, wow, thanks for that. But here's the reality. You know that, I know that, we all know that, but we don't talk about it. Have you noticed how we skirt around the, the thought of death, the topic of death? We don't like to talk about it because it makes us uncomfortable. We avoid the subject at all costs. In fact, we, we soften it and say other words like passed away or departed or the, the loss of a loved one, or then we become even more lighthearted because we don't even want to say that, and so we'll be flippant in our words, like they kick the bucket. You've heard that? Pushing up daisies? I mean, all this, this, this kind of crass kind of talk as well. But if you think about it, the reality of our mortality should affect the way we live our life, right? Because I know I'm going to die, then that should affect how I live, just to be aware of that. The one who breathed life into you. The one who created you in his image. One day you're going to face him. And knowing that, that should affect how I live. Not just the moment when I die. Exercise, good nutrition, modern medicine, all those can prolong life. But nothing can keep death from happening. 
it is sure. The Bible tells us that. You know this verse, Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You know, one thing that I noticed, and you probably as well, when you read about Jesus and you're following through his life, Jesus would talk openly about his death all the time because he knew he came to die. That was his purpose for being born, was to die, to conquer death. He wanted to live and make that perfect sacrifice for our sins. And I think that's one of the reasons Christ faced death so boldly. He knew that was his calling, that was his mission, that's why he was sent, that's why he came. He planned to conquer the giant of death. He knew that while death would take him, death would not keep him. And he would forever change the way God's people would look at death. We can have the same confidence that Jesus had. I've shared the story before, but it so illustrates what the world thinks about death. If you're a baseball fan, you know the name of Ted Williams. Some would say he's one of the greatest hitter in all of uh, history of baseball, 19 seasons. I mean, such a great hitter. His last time at bat, he hit a home run. I mean, what a way to go out, right? According to Sports Illustrated, Williams now spends his time in a one-story warehouse near Scottsdale, Arizona Airport. After he died in 2002, actually his curators don't like to use the word death, the Alcor Life Extension Program will say he ended his first life cycle. Have you heard about this? He died, or ended his cycle at age 83. They packed a crate full of ice, flew his body to Arizona, injected him with a form of human antifreeze, and placed in a stainless steel bay where he and now 222 other residents are being held in a minus 196 degrees Celsius. They're counting on some kind of future development, some kind of future medical understanding, uh, awareness, discovery, that he will be able to be brought back to life, that their bodies will be brought back to life. Some way, someday, somehow, they'll poke a needle, push a button, do something, and trigger life cycle number two. It's not just Ted Williams, though. Everyone wants another shot at life, right? We want to know that when we die, it's not over. But when we die, there's something else. There's more to it, a second go-around, because death is inevitable. And that brings me to the next point. Resurrection is possible. Death is inevitable, but resurrection is possible. There's a way to turn death into a comma instead of a period. Death can be a transition into a better life rather than the end of life. And that's through Jesus. In fact, it all starts with the resurrection of Jesus. So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul continues after verse 3 that we read and starts talking about all those who witnessed the resurrected Lord in verse 5. And he talks about most of these who went on to die a martyr's death because they would not back down on their testimony of what they had witnessed. Now usually when people are put under the gun or their lives are threatened, they'll, they'll deny it. But these people did not. So Paul lists the names of those eyewitnesses, including Peter and the rest of the disciples, James, and then Paul says, and me too. But look at the beginning of verse 6. He gives a very important detail. 1 Corinthians 15, 6. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. 
So 20 to 30 years have passed, and of these 500, most of them are still talking about they saw the resurrected Jesus. They would not hush up talking about it. Max Lucado writes this, Don't believe in Jesus' resurrection? Let's line up the witnesses. Call them out one by one. Let each person who saw the resurrected Christ take the stand and speak. Better pack a lunch. Clear your calendar. For over 500 witnesses have something to say. Doesn't the sheer size of this crowd carry clout? If one prospector boasts of discovered gold, we listen. If 50 diggers find nuggets, we grab shovels. When 500 find a mother load of treasure, we start staking claims. Increased testimonies dispel doubt. When Jesus resurrected on that Sunday morning, it wasn't a gradual recovery over hours or days or weeks. There was no NHC needed. There was no therapy needed. He was 100% resurrected instantaneously. And it's good for us to know that, to remember that from death to life. The miracle made possible the fact that he was God in the flesh. This was God's plan. The one who breathed life into Adam breathed life back into Jesus' dead body. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 16. I like the way the message paraphrases it. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't. Because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wondering about the dark as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first among in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. When Jesus comes back, there'll be no more death. There'll be no need to fear death any longer. But this is not how the world thinks. This is, how, this is why our thinking should be so different than everybody else who doesn't read Scripture, follow Scripture, and believe Scripture. Because the world doesn't believe this. That's why you've got bodies frozen waiting for life cycle number two. They don't understand the teaching of Scripture. Back in 2007, James Cameron produced a documentary, The Lost Tomb of Jesus. That tomb had the name of Mary, another name Mary, and then the name of Jesus. And so they thought, well, Mary and Mary and Jesus, this has to be the tomb. These have to be the bones of Jesus. And maybe Jesus didn't marry Mary Magdalene after all. Cameron said, hey, this proves Jesus did exist. But he doesn't know his Bible, does he? What about the resurrection? So then Cameron tried to extend an olive branch to Christians, to what the Scripture says, and he says, well, Jesus still could have resurrected and then died again. And these are his bones. You can't have it both ways, can you? I mean, either the resurrection happened or it didn't happen. James Cameron missed the whole point of Scripture, the whole story of the resurrection. Jesus came back from the grave never to die again. He was not like Lazarus, who Jesus brought back from the grave and then died another death. Jesus never died again. 
Christianity rises or falls, or maybe we should say lives or dies, on the fact that Jesus never died again. Just once. Just once. The truth is, if the tomb isn't empty, then you should fear death. Because there is no plan for life cycle number two. I like the way the New Living Translation puts 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 23. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. All who belong to Christ. So Jesus resurrected first, then all who belong to Christ are resurrected. So the question is, who belongs to Jesus? I belong to Jesus. Can you raise your hand and say with me, I belong to Jesus? All who belong to Jesus will be raised when He comes back. If you belong to Jesus, you're going to be raised. You see, the resurrection of Jesus leads to the resurrection of every single believer. And for those who die in Christ, we're going to have a glorified body. The Bible talks about that. Similar to before, but different. We don't fully understand all of that. Look at verses 51 through 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and the mortal body must put on immortality. Understand, Jesus experienced a factual, complete, physical resurrection. And the the resurrection of Jesus is really nothing more than a forecast of your own. He died, you die. He was raised, you will be raised. That's the promise. Listen to his words, John 5, verse 28 through 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 mentions that he will give a, a great shout, a loud command. If you look up that word, what that means is like, it's like the military commander barking out the orders to the army. So loud, everybody hears it. You may have heard this before. I remember, I don't know who said it. What will he say? What will be the word? One person said, the one who sees it all, all the pain, all the abuse, all the wars, all the disease, all the suffering for thousands and thousands of years since we chose sin over God, will finally say, enough! And everybody will hear it. And the dead in Christ will rise. Paul says in verse 54, death is swallowed up in victory. Yesterday, we buried Gene Worley's body in the Worley Cemetery. For those of you who know Gene Worley, Sam and Gene, wonderful, godly people, showed us how to live, showed us how to die. What wonderful examples. It was a wonderful ceremony, so many good things to be able to say, say about her. I was walking away from the cemetery. It was right by the, the grave. There was a, 
a ginkgo tree, and the leaves were falling. And, and John Law led several other chosen songs, and one of them was just talking, it was just so whirly. It was talking about the harvest, and it was talking about springtime, and it was, talk, it was just, it, it was all about the resurrection. It was such a beautiful thing, and I, and I picked up one of the leaves, and I brought it home. I love the ginkgo trees anyway, but it reminded me, it's what we believe. That tree, all those leaves are dying, but in the spring, they're going to come back to life. God gives us a glimpse of this, even in creation. Death is swallowed up in victory. On that Good Friday, what appeared to be victory for Satan actually led to the most amazing triumph in the history of this globe. Jesus defeated death. Understand this, Satan is no match for God. It was only a matter of time until his perfect will was orchestrated. And Jesus came to die for us. And because of the resurrection of Jesus, the victory is won. He proves that Satan is no match. Now he's coming after us. He's still a roaring lion going after, trying to take everybody down. And will use difficulties, even death, to attack your faith. Cause you to doubt. But he wants you to believe. We celebrate the empty tomb because Jesus swallowed up, as the Bible says, or conquered the power of death. Keep reading. Look at verses 55 and following. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So if death is inevitable and resurrection then is possible, how do we overcome this giant of, of, of death? How do we not be a, a slave to the fear of death? Well, verse 57 tells us how, or better, I should say, tells us who. It's Jesus. It's only Jesus. Heaven is for those who've lifted the white flag and said, I surrender. I can't do it on my own. I can't save myself. I can handle my sin debt. I need a perfect Savior who died for me to wash me clean. My hope, my only hope, is to put my trust in the one who is perfect. See, get this. If you've not yet made Jesus your Lord, then you should fear death. Because you have something to be scared of. There's no hope for you. But look at Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I think it's quite interesting. Take note here. A prerequisite to your being saved, the Bible clearly states here, is first, Jesus must be your Lord, and number two, you've got to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Either you accept that as true, and you bank your whole life on that, you're trusting that, and it affects everything that you do, or you don't. Jesus is your Lord, and you believe in His resurrection. But folks, again, the world doesn't believe this truth. They don't think that way. And sometimes we'll hear them talking about it, and it sounds reasonable, and yet you realize when you start to listen how lost and how they don't get it. Years ago, the producers of Sesame Street had a dilemma. Will Lee, the the actor who played Mr. Hooper died. So the producers were faced with a, a, a challenge of how do you communicate the concept of death to the 10 million children, most of whom are under the age of six. 
about death. So they, as the article stated, they, they gave it a curriculum bath was the word they used. And they sought all of the professionals. And they talked to child psychologists. They said, well, don't say Mr. Hooper got sick and died because children get sick. And they don't die necessarily. And so don't go that way. And they also suggested, don't say Mr. Hooper got old and died because little children think of their parents as old and they're not dying. And so you don't want to go down that road. And, and they didn't want to go down the religious road at all. So they didn't want to say he died and went to heaven. So instead, the show's producers just chose to say a few basics. The show aired on Thanksgiving Day so parents could be at home and watch with their children. Big Bird came out and said they had a picture of Mr. Hooper. Go ahead to the next slide. You can, this is from that scene. Big Bird came out. He had a picture. Went to give it to Mr. Hooper. Couldn't wait to see him. Someone on the screen there with him said, Big Bird, remember, we told you that Mr. Hooper died. Big Bird said, oh yeah, I forgot. And he said, well, I give it to him when he comes back. So someone else put an arm around Big Bird and said, well, Big Bird, Mr. Hooper isn't coming back. And Big Bird very innocently said, why not? Big Bird, when people die, they don't come back. That was it. That was all they shared. How empty. How hopeless. How futile. That when you die, it's over. You know, but that's the reality for some people. That's what they think. But if you're a completely committed follower of Jesus, if Jesus is your Lord, as Scripture says, not that you're a good person, not that you give to a nonprofit, not, not that you recycle, not that you and you go over the list of the good things you do, it's Jesus. It's only Jesus. Apart from Jesus, there's no hope. No wonder people fear death. But if Jesus is the Lord of your life, he's promised that you're going to live eternally. Remember when the resurrected Lord appeared to his disciples? Look at Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. He says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. That's what Paul is rehashing here in chapter 15. The gospel of the whole creation, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Do you trust that promise? If you trust the promise of God, then you can face even the most difficult of circumstance. No matter the suffering, no matter the persecution, even facing death. Because you have, based on Scripture, a deep, biblically grounded resolve. You're not just parroting what you've always heard, or what you grew up hearing, what your mom or dad said, or what you heard the preacher say. You've read it in Scripture with your own eyes, and you believe it in your own heart, and you say, He is my living hope. I don't want anybody to leave here today fearing death. There's no need for us to. See, if you, if you fear death, you're just telling Jesus, no thanks. Because He died to take that away. If you're a Christian, one who believes in the resurrection, one who's made Jesus your Lord, you have His Word you have His Word. 
And by faith, you take that with confidence. You have the eternal joy. If you belong to Jesus, unlike the family of Ted Williams, who paid $136,000 to have his body so preserved, folks, go home and look it up. There's all kinds of other stories that have followed about what have they done with the body, and it's a, it's a big mess. Understandably, it's a big mess. But that's quite a price to pay for empty hopes, isn't it? But if you belong to Jesus, your resurrection is not contingent upon technology or some advanced medical study that's coming down the pike. It's based on a correct theology. What does the Bible say, and what do I believe? Jesus conquered the grave. It really comes back to who he is. Who is Jesus? James Cameron doesn't understand because he thinks those are his bones. But if you understand, no, no, that tomb is empty. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. I want to end with the verse we started with. Hebrews 9, 27, and just as it is appointed for a man to die once and after this comes the judgment. You know, sometimes maybe it's not the fear of death that we are so afraid of, but it's the fear of judgment. You ever felt that like, well, I'm not afraid of dying. This, I don't, you know, I've never done it before, but it's like, uh, I want to be ready to meet my Lord. I'm, I'm afraid of judgment. Think about it like this. I want to share a verse in a moment. Remember when you were in school, and it was kind of the end of the term, and you had to make a certain grade on a final paper or a final test to have a passing grade. Do you, was that, were you ever there? You know what I'm talking about? Whether it was a, a good enough grade to keep the scholarship or just a grade that you wouldn't get kicked out. Whatever it was, you, know, you had that standard. And so you, you took that test or you wrote the paper or whatever it was. And what you did, you felt good about it. You know, your answers, you felt good about it. And then, you know, of course, nowadays they post it online, what your, what your grade was. But there's something about when you go back to class and they pass out the paper. Do you remember that? And you see that, and there it is. It's the passing grade. It's a good enough score that you keep that grade that you, that you needed. And it's that affirmation. Now you knew... You knew you'd pass because you aced the test. You did a good job on the paper, whatever it was. But when you saw that paper, it kind of sealed the deal. In my mind, and maybe I'm oversimplifying, but, but look at this next verse. So it's appointed a man to die once. After that comes the judgment. But look, verse 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin... Not to deal with sin. He's already dealt with sin. He died on the cross. But to save those who were eagerly waiting for Him. When you pass the test, you're like, I want to see it. You're ready to go because you, you know. You made it. You're good. You're eagerly waiting. Folks, Jesus didn't die so you could be miserable, not sure if you're going to go to heaven or not. He wants you to be confident in His ability to wash your sins clean. Separate you from them as far as the east is from the west. Bear to the bottom of the sea. We could go on and on and on. We're going to end with a song of worship. Kind of a song of invitation, but also a song of worship. It's another one of our newer songs, but the, the gospel message is here. In Christ alone my hope is found. 
He is my light, my strength, my song. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me from life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ I stand. Can you sing that? Folks, let's raise the roof. Can you sing it with all your heart? If that's what you believe, if that's your confidence, you have a reason, have a smile on your face, and joy in your heart, no matter the burden or the suffering that you're going through. Until the day you die, and in that moment you die, you'll say, Lord, I'm ready. Eagerly expecting to see his face. But if you've not yet been baptized, if you've not yet confessed your hope, your belief that he is the son of God, that he did raise from the dead, this song is for you as well. We want you to have that hope. That's why we're here. That's why we worship. That's who we are. We are his children. Let's stand and worship together. Oh.